we are doing a sermon series called uh, Keep the Faith. This comes from uh, John Wesley, and this is my own interpretation. You can see I got a little uh, asterisk there. John Wesley had three simple rules for what it meant to be Methodist. John Wesley was the founder of United Methodism in Great Britain. It was a Methodist movement. He had three simple rules, and they're pretty good rules. One is do no harm. And if you want to read kind of his thoughts on what it meant to do no harm, you can look it in. But that's like, that seems pretty reasonable, right? Do no harm. The second one is do good, and that's pretty great. And the third one, which the language he has is a little archaic, which is why people update it, but it's attend upon all the ordinances of God. Okay, so a little less self-explanatory in our modern age. Um, I summarize it as uh, keep the faith. Um, Other people summarize it as stay in love with God. But at the heart of what John Wesley says in the third rule, he says, okay, first off, do no harm, do good. And then there are certain practices that we should engage in as people of faith to keep our faith alive, to keep ourselves uh, in love with God and and in love with... And so you can go and you can read some of these practices. John Wesley would say, um, you know, attending to worship and engaging with scripture, things like fasting and abstinence, prayer. And so we're going to spend some time looking at a few of these, specifically ones we haven't looked at in the recent past. So today I'm going to talk about scripture and how scripture can be a spiritual practice. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, fasting, abstinence, and sobriety, um, and uh, what that looks like in our modern age. And then in three weeks, Christy uh, is going to do uh, prayer and kind of offer some uh, prayer practices in, in three weeks. So um, this week, though, is scripture as a spiritual practice. So first I want to talk about the fact that some of us do not have a good relationship with scripture. There are people in our community and people in the world and a part of the church who would look at a Bible, and we've got these classic OG Bibles right here in paper and everything, you know, and find this to be very difficult. It's difficult to understand. It's been used to hurt them. So I want to start by just saying what we shouldn't do with Scripture. So I was introduced to this really great clip by Maria from this, uh, what is it, 1990s Christian, it's satire of Christianity called Saved. Has anyone seen this? Yeah, I have not, but I'm familiar with it, and I watched the clip, and I said yes. So, so the, the premise is this. That there's this one character who is, um, to use kind of 1990s Christian lingo, they're backsliding, okay? You with me? All right, they're backsliding. They're, fall, they're, they're not living the way they're supposed to be living, and so the, their friends, their Christian friends, are encouraged to have an intervention, I'm going to show you this clip of what their intervention looks like. And remember, this is satire poking fun at Christianity. All right? So just look at it through that lens. Um, And we are a church that likes to poke fun at ourselves. So we're okay with poking fun at Christianity. So it's okay. I'm not. But let's watch this clip of what their intervention looks like. intervention here? Kidnapping? No. You are backsliding into the flames of hell. You've become a magnet for sin. We've all witnessed it. Sure. Veronica acting all pure. What about last spring break at the Promise Makers rally, huh? Oh my God, you are making accusations. 
as for trying to save your soul? Mary, turn away from Satan. Jesus, he loves you. You don't know first thing about love. I am filled with Christ's love. God, you are just jealous of my success in the Lord. This is not a weapon, you idiot. Great, great little satire. She throws the Bible at her while saying, I am filled with God's love. And, you know, the ending is, you know, this is not a weapon. Okay, let's start with that. This is not a weapon. If you encounter someone using scripture as a weapon to cause you harm, to make you feel little, okay, that's your first red flag. It's It's not its intent. It's been used that way throughout history in a variety of settings. Um... And, uh, but it's not the role that scripture is supposed to have. So to start, I want to just spend a few moments, and, and this is kind of rooted in a class that I've done on understanding uh, the Bible um, that we could offer again. If, if, if any of these are interesting to you and you'd like to dig into them more, let me know, and we could put this class together again if there's interest. Um, but I'm just going to share a couple bullet points, and I don't have time today to get into the depths of them. I will say that, that scripture, because it's been used as a source of power over people, that some of the things I say, depending on your raising, could make you a little uncomfortable. And I want you to know that, that I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I, I really am just trying to share things that, that I have come to understand scripture. So before I go any further, I say scripture continues to be a very significant authority in my life, very important. It's the one thing I've studied more than anything else in my life. I've, I've, I'm still paying the bills from studying it, school loans. Um, And so I I don't talk about it lightly. I mean, this is very important to me. I've been reading and studying the scripture since I could read, and I don't even read very much, and I still, you know, read read the scripture. So so I I come from a place of of respect and reverence, but I want to talk through some things that I think are unhealthy. So the first one um, is uh, a lot of times when people talk about scripture, they talk about how it is God-breathed. This comes from uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. You can put that up, Tim. God breathed, yeah. 2 Timothy 3.16 is where it says, all scripture is God breathed. And uh, a lot of times the way in which this is understood, anyone heard this before? You're familiar with this idea of God breathed? The, the general assumption in this passage in, uh, is that scripture is God breathed, which means scripture is often translated inspired, which means scripture is inerrant, absolutely holy, spoken from the mouth of God, God breathed it into existence. Okay, that's kind of the general understanding. My problem with that is that's not how I understand the text. Um, That's not what I feel like scripture is saying about itself when you really dig into it. Uh, See, the phrase God breathed is a compound word that's not found anywhere else in scripture and not often found in other writings of the time when it was written in scripture. And uh, so we have to kind of understand it through context. And, and, and the one place in Scripture where it talks about God breathing something is Genesis. And you get the story of God's creation. And it's this beautiful story. And God, it's this beautiful story where God digs in the dirt and he pulls up the dirt and makes it into clay and he forms these human beings in the clay out of the dirt. And after they've been made, God breathes life into them. God breathed. And so when I think about that, what does it mean for something to be God breathed? It, it's not necessarily, like in scripture, God breathed is something that happens, it, it animates something. 
Something that God has created, that God has knit together, that God has made, becomes alive, right? So the, the human's laying there in the dirt, and then God breathes on it, and it comes alive. And so as I read this passage, what it means for Scripture to be God-breathed, I, I really think it's this idea that, that this, these words have been knitted and crafted and put together, often out of the, the human experiences of us. And in, when we encounter it, God's Spirit brings it to life animates the text, helps us experience it in a relevant and profound way. Um, this is uh, something that um, I, I'm not the only one who thinks this. This is a, a, a maybe a less popular, but a very popular way of understanding Scripture. In fact, uh, Dan's dad, Paul, Doug. <clears throat> Paul's not his middle name either? No, Paul's first name, Doug. No. Paul Doug. Oh, I was right. <laughs> Paul Doug, height. Gee, golly, I don't have it in my notes. Um, is, a, is, a, is a clergy person, wrote a book. Uh, it's a great book. You can put the slide up, Tim. And uh, if you're interested in it, it's called The Love That Will Not Let You Go. Um, and uh, um, I, I've, I've got a great copy of it. Thank you, Dan. And um, Dan really worked, like, you had some correspondence with your dad when he was writing this, so he included some inputs. So Dan's got some claim to fame to this. But this is what he says in one of the passages around Scripture. He says, this is what it means that the Bible is inspired, or God-breathed, that the Spirit, the breath of God, is constantly breathing through it into the hearts of those who read it. And so when we encounter Scripture this way, it's, it's different. You know, instead of going to Scripture as, um, as a, trying to figure out what, what God was trying to say when God originally wrote it kind of idea, it's more of going to Scripture and saying, okay, what, what does God want to say to me now? What is the Spirit of God doing now in my life and in, through these stories and allowing you know, the Spirit of God to speak through us? The second thing that's really helped me understand Scripture well is when I realized that, once again, based on my understanding of Scripture and how it's read, um, that Scripture actually makes the claim that Jesus is the Word of God. So oftentimes, like we, we, we sing the song, Word of God Speak, and sometimes we default to thinking that's Scripture. But Scripture itself says that Jesus is the Word of God. And what it means by that, it comes from John chapter 1, where God took on flesh, and it said the Word became flesh. And it's this idea that Jesus, the person, the life, the teaching, the ministries, the example of Jesus, is the best revelation of who God is. That Jesus is actually a higher authority than Scripture. And for some of us, we're like, ooh, that makes me uncomfortable. But why? We are Jesus followers, not Bible followers. And the Bible is important, and it's authoritative, but Jesus is actually the best representation of who God is, according to Scripture. And so this is really helpful for me. And, and this is really helpful because one of the downsides of Scripture, and this is true in some places, I feel like people are not actually worshiping Jesus, they're not actually following Jesus, and they're not actually worshiping God, they are worshiping the Bible. And I think the Bible can become an idol. And when it does, it, it causes people a lot of hurt. And I'm not trying to knock the Bible. It's a very important, I, like I said, I'm very familiar with it. It's very important to me. But we are primarily people of God. And God it uses the scripture as one of the ways in which God reveals God's self to us. But the best revelation of who God is, is through the person of Jesus. Um, this is a quote from us United Methodists. Um, in our book of discipline, it says, United Methodists share with other Christians that the conviction that Scripture is the primary source in criteria for Christian doctrine. 
through Scripture, the living Christ meets us in the expression of redeeming grace. It's a beautiful theology there. Um, but it's, just, it's just the same idea, the same way that God meets us, the Spirit makes this text come alive. Jesus meets us in the text, but Jesus is the point. Like, and so one of the reasons why this is so important is because you have to read Scripture through the lens of Jesus. I mean, you don't have to. I, I'm asking you to. Like who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches and what Jesus is for. Jesus reinterpreted parts of the Old Testament. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And it's the I said to you that's more important. And so we have to look at the entire book of the Bible through the lens of what it means to love like Jesus. And then it can start making sense. Um, he, it goes on and says, we are convinced that Jesus Christ is the living word of God in our midst, whom we trust in life and death. So Once again, it's this idea that scripture helps us encounter God through the Spirit and through Jesus. The, the third thing that I've found particularly useful in understanding the Bible is this. I, I, uh, I see it as more of a library uh, than a book. So a lot of times we think of this as a book. If it was, the closest thing would be an anthology because it's a lot of different things. But when you think about a book, you assume that it agrees with itself. Right, because it's a single author, so they're making a single point through the whole thing. But when you think about a library, the assumption is that if it's a good library, it's going to have opposing ideas. Right, a library that only had books that agreed with one position would be a bad library. Is that fair to say? Well, I see this as a library. This is a collection of writings and works that have been extremely impactful to the people of God, and it intentionally disagrees with itself. Not because that makes it irrelevant, but because it's in the tension. It's in the conversation that we find out who God is. And so you look at Old Testament narratives, um, you look at Old Testament stories where it kind of views God in a priestly way, and you look at Old Testament stories that views God in a more prophetic way, and this is where we could get into this in a class. And they, they sometimes feel like they're disagreeing with each other, but it's actually because they're presenting different sides to the same coin. And it's in that tension that we understand the, the whole picture. They're offering different vantage points. And so that's why I view this a little bit more as a library than a book. The, the, the word Bible comes from the Latin word bibliotheca, um, which means a library or collection, if you needed more evidence to that. Um, or it's a printed catalog compiled by a big bibliographer. And I was like, what's a bibliographer? And I looked that up, and they're like, a bibliographer is someone who puts together bibliographies. And I'm like, you are not helping me at all. Um, <laughs> And then if you look at bibliography, it's like something that's put together by bibliographers. Um, but if, if you've gone to school, you probably know what a bibliography is, right? It's the collection of your sources that you used to make your argument. I would imagine, and correct, I, maybe your field of study is wrong, but when I wrote papers and I put together a bibliography, I tried to include sources that offer different perspectives. Here's what so-and-so says, here's what so-and-so says. So once again, the Bible is like a bibliography. Now, our church, and by church means the church universal, has kind of set this as the bibliography. Um, there are other sources we read. We read Christian authors and um, all kinds of things, but the, there's a kind of a, what, what you could think of as what we call the canon is kind of our authoritative bibliography. Here are the sources that we're going to primarily use to understand who God is. And so that's kind of one way to think about the Bible. Um, so along those lines, in a similar way, I, I view it as more of a conversation than a declaration. What I mean by that is um, we live on the other side of, of modernity, uh, and, and we want everything to be black and white, and there's one answer to all of life's questions. 
the Bible was written in a time where it was much more embraced that truth was in the conversation. And so Jewish culture, especially in the Old Testament, was, was people talking and thinking and presenting different ideas and arguments weren't necessarily bad and pr- different perspectives weren't bad. And so it's in those conversations that we find God's truth. There's, there's lots of examples. Deuteronomy says that if you live a good life, God will bless you. And then Job comes along and he lived a perfect life and he was cursed. And so then you have these two opposing ideas. I'm like, how do I make sense of this? Well, in the process of trying to make sense of it, you encounter God. That's the idea. And so, wait, if I live a good life, I'll always be blessed? Well, not in Job's case. It's actually more complicated than that. And so we've got these two different perspectives that we have to wrestle with. And so we, you know, in a class, we could really kind of dig into that. The last one, which um, could uh, bother some of us, is um, it's uh, as human as it is divine. It's as human as it is divine. And you would be like, well, if it's human, then it can't be authoritative, or God can't use it. And I was like, well, then you You must have a very low view of what it means to be human. He's like, well, how can it be human and divine? I was like, well, do you believe in the incarnation? Because Jesus was human and divine. But one of the things that has really helped me understand Scripture is that it is rooted in the human experience. It is painfully honest. There are horrible stories in Scriptures. We did a series, actually, called Horror Bible Stories. For some of you who've been around for a little while, it's on the west side. I can send you the link. And we looked at these really horrible stories. What I mean by that is God can use Scripture and does use Scripture to speak to us, to bring life, and to help us understand. But it is grounded in the human experience. And so you can look at parts of the Old Testament, and you can be like, well, is that? They're viewing God as this angry, genocidal God. Is that who God is? And I would say, no, that's not who God is but it is an honest reflection of how they viewed God at that time. And over time, God revealed God's self a little bit better, all the way culminating in the person of Jesus, where it turns out if that's our primary tool for understanding who God is, Jesus says, love your enemies. And if Jesus is the best representation of God, then God must not be a genocidal murderer, correct? But what we know and what we appreciate and what I appreciate is at one point, that's how they view God. And so this is part of the conversation of people wrestling with and trying to learn who God is. And why God took so long to reveal God's self, you know, well, you have to ask God that. I don't know. But it's a slow process, us us humans. And so there is a human component. And when I've realized that, um, that that doesn't diminish the Bible, it actually helps me understand the Bible. These stories are painful. There's brokenness. There's success. There's a There's people cheating on each other. There's people lying to each other. There's people killing each other. It's deeply human. And the things that happen in the scriptures still happen today in many, many different ways. And so we can go here and we can see how people interacted with it and how they responded to it given the time that they were there. So that is a little bit of some of the ideas. If you're interested in any more of those, I'd I'd be love to sit down and and talk about it. What I want to end with is a, a way that you might read scripture. If scripture... Can, uh, if God can use Scripture to speak to us, um, then there's, there's a, there's, there are some practices that the ancient church have offered us to uh, help us encounter Scripture and God's Word through us. So when you came in, hopefully you got a bookmark. If you did not, Charlie would love to give you one. Just raise your hand. Or, uh, yeah, Elizabeth's not up here. Um, we'd get you a bookmark. It walks through what's called the Lectio Divina. 
you know, before everyone had their own copy of the Bible, before the printing press, um, and before a lot of people even knew how to read, the Bible was encountered by people reading it for it. So you'd gather together and you'd hear parts of Scripture read. And so they developed a way in which to read Scripture to allow it to speak to us. And so this is called Lectio Divina, and uh, it's really broken down into a series of uh, steps. The first step is to silent yourself before God, to pause, to take a couple of deep breaths, to relax, to center yourself. The second one then is you read the passage out loud, and you linger on the words. You try not to analyze it. You're not trying to figure out what it says. You're allowing just the words to speak for themselves. You're not trying to come in with a judgmental attitude or you know, trying to figure out your action step. You're just allowing the words to kind of wash over you. Then you read it again a second time, and you open yourself up to what you might want to hear. Maybe there's a particular word that stands out or a particular part of the story, and, and you kind of meditate on that. And then you read it a third time. Yeah, three times. I know it's a lot of reading, a lot of words. And this time you're trying to be honest about how it makes you feel. You know, what, how does it make you feel? What stands out to you? Um, and you offer these thoughts back to God as you kind of pray. And you're like, okay, God, what are you trying to say? Why is this sticking out to me? Why, why is this word sticking out to me? Why is this part of the story sticking out to me? And then the last one is you pause and you slow down again, and you try to consider what you want to take away from it. You know, what do you feel like God might be saying to you? How does God want to encourage you? Um, and always, of course, filtering it through what it means for God to love you. So does, does that make sense? This is a very, very ancient way of reading Scripture. We're going to end um, my sermon by practicing this. Now, this works um, whether you're hearing it. I'm going to be reading a Scripture passage for you. Um, but you can also take this bookmark home and practice it. And I encourage you. This is a really helpful practice. This is a, maybe a slightly different way of reading Scripture than, than studying the Bible, which is, I know I was kind of raised to study it. This is allowing the Scripture to speak to you and God speak to you through it and open yourself up to it. So I want to practice it. So we're going to start by pausing. I want you to take a couple deep breaths, get yourself into a position that's comfortable, and then I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Mark. You ready? Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see you. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I'm going to read it again, and this time I want you to 
when you come across a phrase or a part of the story or a single word that sticks out to you, I'm going to continue reading, but I encourage you to ponder that, to sit with that particular word, that particular part of the passage, and reflect on that as we continue to read. Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. If you've latched onto a word or a phrase or a part of the story or an idea that came as you were hearing it, I want you to ponder that. And as I read it again, I want you to kind of direct that back to God almost as a way of responding, as an act of prayer. As you hear the scripture again, push it towards God and say, God, what are you trying to say here? What, what are you trying to say to me? What are you, what's going on? And, and just see what stirs in your soul. Mark 10, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Finally, I invite you to just to pause, to breathe, to allow yourself to consider what it is that you might want to take away from it. What is God saying to you? What is God hoping for you? Pause and reflect on that for a moment. I encourage you, um, if there is something that God was speaking to you, or there's something that you were sensing, something that you were experiencing, um, Chat with somebody after the service. Start, talk up, and, and, and especially if you're like, ah, I didn't get anything out of it. That's fine too. There's no judgment here. It's just, a, my, you know, it doesn't matter. This is just, a, this is a practice that I have found to be very helpful. I'll, I'll share with you. Um, this was not pre-programmed. I experienced the scripture for you with you at the same time. The thing that really stood out to me was Jesus saying, "What do you want me to do for you?" And and as a as a as a faith leader, I often. I'm asking the question, what does God want me to do? And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I could tempted to cry a little bit today. This is how kind of personal this experience of Scripture is for me. But, you know, I work pretty hard, and, and it's been a hard year, and I put a lot of hours in, and, you know, with the merger and everything else, it's been really, 
it's been exhausting and I've been managing everything I have to do and to hear Jesus say to me in kind of a, a, a sense, like what, Jesus is like, well, what can I do for you? And I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of gives me chills to consider and to think that it's not just about what I can do for God, that God loves me, that God has good things for me, that God wants to make sure that I have what I need. And that, that's deeply, deeply profound. So it's just you know, an honest reflection as I went through this process. This is your first time doing it. It might feel a little weird or off, but I encourage you to practice this and try it and just to open yourself up to what God might say as you read scripture. If the band wants to come up. We're going to do our closing song. I encourage you, um, scripture is a great way to encounter God. We're going to talk about some other practices that are uh, helpful practices, but I really do encourage you, especially um, if you kind of struggled with scripture in the past, to just try some other methods. If this particular method doesn't work for you, you could look into others um, where you might be able to experience God's word in a way that brings life and gives you hope. So with that, will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we give you thanks for your word and for how you speak to us. How you remind us of your love and our need for you. Holy Spirit, come and give us life. <laughs>